welcome to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. My name is Dan Roberts, and I am joined again for the second week in a row by friend of the pod and not friend of the Bills, Brandon Bennett. JJ is still on uh, his wonderful vacation in Aruba this week, and we wanted to give him some uh, continued much-needed time away from work and from the pod. So Brandon is filling in admirably yet again for, uh, for one Mr. JJ Bryce. He'll be here today to help us break down the Bills wildcard win against the Miami Dolphins and help us set up today's game against the Cincinnati Bengals for the right to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for uh, for having me back. Uh, glad I, I, I didn't scare you away last time. So, um, and so yeah, happy to be here. Excellent. We're happy to have you back. We uh, we got quite a few listens for your podcasts when you uh, guest hosted. So, so that's we're a hoping sign. to cap that y'all need yeah. more Patriots content. It sounds like. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, we're totally going to change the format of the show based on that one pod. You're so right. I love this. Okay, good. <laughs> yep. 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 No, but it's great to have you back here with us today. So again, you being firmly planted with your allegiances in the AFC East, you're, you are the ideal guest host today because in that wildcard game against Miami, you really didn't have, I think a rooting interest other than probably chaos, which is almost exactly what happened in that game. The bills ended up pulling it out by the skin of their teeth by three points. And there's been a lot of talk on bills, Twitter bills, podcast world about how we got chaos, Josh Allen last week. And before we get into, before we get into all of that, um, I do think it's worth noting just a couple of things for context. Cause Brandon, as you have aptly pointed out, Um, JJ and I tend to be harsh critics of our Buffalo Bills, maybe harsher than you would expect fans to be. Uh, Though, if you have suffered through the the history of the Buffalo Bills, you kind of know where that angst and and anxiety comes from. Um, So I want to contextualize this with everything uh, that is important to keep in mind. Last season, we absolutely destroyed the Bills because they had not won a single one-score game in in the 21 season. Uh, and we question their toughness. We question their defensive philosophy. We question their resilience. This year, when you take in the totality of everything this team has gone through, working backwards from DeMar Hamlin to the shooting at tops in the Buffalo region um, in preseason to the tragic passing of um, Bill's tight end, uh, Dawson Knox's little brother, uh, this uh, the snowstorms that have hit Western New York, this team has generally been through a lot. They've had to adjust game schedules. They've had to adjust travel schedules. They've had to play in some unideal conditions. And they have posted a winning record in one-score games this season. This team, for the most part, has done everything we asked. But the way this team is winning is not so much about style as opposed to sustainability. Because I think it's pretty easy to say, well, the Bills aren't blowing people out. They've got this amazing offense and this very consistent defense. They should be winning by more than one score. And I think there is some truth to that, Brandon. But I also think what we have to focus on is not the way they are winning, but the how they are winning. And there's pros and cons to both of that. The pros on how they're winning is that they seem to figure out a different way to do it every week. Special team scores in week 18 put the team ahead. Uh, Defensive lockdowns, defensive turnovers have been other ways that they've won in previous weeks. And then, of course, they've won a fair amount of games because of JA-17, our Lord and Savior in Western New York, Josh (laughs) Allen. (laughs) but i also think there's a fair amount of substance substantive criticism about the sustainability of this offensive approach and you and i broke it down in week 18 
and we saw it again here in this wild card game. Josh loves those single high cover one man looks because he trusts his arm and he trusts his wide receivers downfield. And in this game, Brandon, over 52% of Josh's pass attempts were beyond 20 yards or more. He was constantly looking downfield. And this is where the sustainability piece comes in. To the detriment of guys who are schemed wide open by Ken Dorsey, flashing across the middle for what would have been shorter air yard completions, but had the ability to potentially get more yak. But Josh trusts his arm, he trusts his guys, and he was bombing it downfield that game to a career high percentage of pass attempts that ultimately went beyond 20 yards. There was also poor offensive line play in this game that again speaks to the sustainability of this boomer bust offense that the bills have found themselves in so allen was under a career high rate of pressure of 48 percent. so basically on 50 percent of his dropbacks he was facing pressure almost immediately he used his legs as much as he could to buy time but unfortunately that pressure got into his head and he bailed out of some clean pockets looking to roll out and chuck the ball deep you can get away with that, Brandon, in my estimation, against a team like the Miami Dolphins, who were playing a seventh-round rookie and Skylar Thompson behind center. I don't know that you can sustainably win against a Cincinnati team or a Kansas City team or whoever the NFC might be putting forward in the Super Bowl without the ability to efficiently maintain long-lasting drives downfield, which means taking what's in front of you as opposed to taking what's beyond you. And I think the Bills have to figure something out heading into that Cincinnati game about making this offense more efficient again. Because up until the bye, this was a highly efficient offense. Josh was completing 9 of 10, 11 of 10, 11 of 11 of his first pass attempts regularly through three, from weeks 1 through 6. And we saw him start that way again in this game, going 9 for his first 10 to 5 different receivers. Unfortunately, as the game developed into the second and the uh, latter parts of the third quarter, we saw maybe what was Josh Allen's worst stretch of football that we saw all season. So Brandon, I want to kick it to you just for some general observations and general thoughts. I am sure you were absolutely giddy seeing the Buffalo Bills jump out to that massive lead and then by their own hand, give it all back and then some to Miami, only to then have to crawl back and try to win the game at the end. So what were some of your general thoughts on that Miami game, Brandon? Yeah, so that was that was a really fun game to watch, and I think way more competitive than either you or I gave uh, gave Miami credit for. Especially um, me, I said what seven points in predictions them, sure to go wrong. You gave them seven <laughs> points, and then if I remember correctly, you had the Bills uh, in the upper upper twenties. I had given yep. Miami um, two touchdowns and a field goal um, to put them at seventeen, and then I had projected the Bills would finish the game with uh, 32 points, I believe. So um, so we were pretty off. And, uh, you know, when the, obviously when the game started, um, Bills go up 17-0 against Miami. And then, you know, things happen at a certain point. Miami takes the lead with 24-20. Uh, to 20, And uh, the game became really exciting. Um, I, I think you had some criticism of, uh, Thompson and, and what he could accomplish in that game um, against your defense as a third string quarterback. And, and certainly his numbers aren't uh, great um, from that game. But um, I mean, 
the the score kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Um, yeah, at the end, yeah, that's the only stat that really matters, right? Is points on the board at the yeah. end of the day. You're right. So, you know, Miami was obviously the underdogs for that game. Um, they came in banged up, uh, no Tua, um, to to start and sort of bail them out. Uh, you saw Thompson, to my surprise. Uh, really, really trying to force the ball to Tyreek and Waddle. Um, so the story from that game for Miami, I think, is drops. Um, Miami are, uh, just didn't have their hands on. Some just really, I don't know if it was playoff jitters or, or what was going on, but just some really surprising um, drops from both Hill and Waddle. Um, but Hill uh, ended the night with 15 targets. So you know, they, they were trying to get it to their stars. Uh, Mostert was out, and I, I, I truly thought going into the game that Jeff Wilson was, you know, going to get up to, you know, probably 80 yards. Um, I thought they were going to rely more on their run game, but they didn't. It was just deep target after deep target I, for both teams. So that was really exciting. Um, and part of their plan was obviously to put a lot of pressure on your Lord and Savior. Um, they got a play our uh, franchise playoff record for them with seven sacks um, out of that game, which is pretty nuts. And um, I think the problems for the Bills in that game was turnovers. Um, Josh had the fumble that resulted in a touchdown, that scoop and score for Miami, um, which, you know, stuff like that can really um, hurt a momentum. So, it was a really fun game to watch. Um, shocked that the Bills scraped together a win um, from that. And I think uh, heading into Cincinnati tonight, y'all are going to have to do much, much better. So, I Yeah, that's a that's an excellent summary. Um, and, and those of you listening at home, you can't see the, the giddy smile on Brandon's face. But when he says he enjoyed that game, I can tell you he is emoting as if he really did enjoy that game. Um, and just the, the absolute carnage that ensued. So, you know, Brandon, you brought up an interesting point about turnovers. Josh was credited with three total turnovers in that game. But he was also credited with three additional fumbles in addition to the fumble that Hines had on special teams. Now, on those four uh, credited fumbles, the Bills were able to recover. But that's a potential of seven turnovers. If one more of those ball, one more of those balls goes the, to the direction of the Miami Dolphins, we could be talking about a very different outcome here. And, and to me, that was kind of the story of the the Buffalo Bills and their reaction to this Miami defense because it. JJ and I have said it all season, especially after uh, Miami traded for Bradley Chubb. This feels like a unit because of the injuries and deficiencies in their secondary for Miami that eventually would just have to rush four and drop seven guys back because this was and continued to be throughout the course of the season one of the most blitz-heavy schemes in the entire NFL. And you can only take that feast or famine approach against Josh for so many opportunities. His EPA against the Blitz this year and Josh Allen is down, his completion percentage is down, but his number of TDs and his success rate, ironically, against the Blitz is still where it was back in 21. So while you might be able to disrupt the Bills for a drive or two when you Blitz that heavy, at the end of the day, they're going to, Dorsey and Allen are going to figure something out when you're bringing extra pressure. 
And Miami was doing their DBs no favors and dropping them into man coverage so much against these Bills wideouts. A wide receiver room, quite frankly, that had struggled with consistent production outside of digs throughout the course of the year. We had the reemergence of Gabe Davis, playoff Gabe, had a great game. Diggs, of course, had his customary great game. And then we got a little bit of a boost from Khalil Shakir, especially what... I would count as that game-saving grab at the end of the game where, again, Josh is scrambling in the pocket because pressure broke down. He's got guys open underneath for potential yak, and instead he chucks it 15-plus yards downfield, and Shakir makes an amazing grab at the end of that game to sustain that drive and keep it going. Yeah, that, um, that was re- a really impressive catch. Uh, he's so the, good. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if you look back, it was a full-body extension, um, and he snatched that ball out of the air. Um, and obviously, you know, Josh Allen put a little, uh, put a little English on it. So, um, oh, yeah. but, but <laughs> super sure. impressive catch and one that the bills needed. And I think a little bit of a redemption catch for, um, a miss that he had earlier in the game. Um, from yeah. Josh, so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the degree of difficulty on both of those catches, the drop and then the completion in the first and second half, respectively, incredible for the rookie to come down with that. And we've been singing Shakir's praises all season on this podcast, and we were really kind of befuddled as to why he is not getting a larger snap share. Uh, The only reason he played as much as he did this game is because McKenzie was out. McKenzie is set to uh, be a go for today's game, so it'll be interesting to see outside of Davis and outside of Diggs, who was getting a lot of that slot rotation between Beasley, who also got a fair amount of fair amount of snaps. He was basically responsible for one interception that Josh threw and also a touchdown. Uh, so again, boomer bust, feast or famine. Um, and then you had Shakir getting a majority of those snaps outside of that. With McKenzie back in the fold, the, the rotation here is going to be interesting to observe. But, but that is part of the problem when you are so boomer bust is that those balls Josh are throwing are 50-50 balls. They have a low rate of success. Josh just happens to be really good at completing them, and he completes them right around or above the league average. But when you combine consistent throws downfield with a low rate of success and the turnover-worthy plays that the Buffalo Bills brought to the field as well, you're not putting out an offense that can sustainably and consistently score against a team like Cincinnati, which has a very athletic defense, which we're going to talk about a bit, and then Kansas City, which, if the Bills are fortunate enough to win today, is who is looming in a neutral site game here next week. Um, And Kansas City's defense is nowhere near as good as uh, as Cincinnati's, but they have some youth and speed and athleticism, and they have seen the Bills a ton over the past two years. So the Bills need to get back to basics in the Cincinnati game um, on the offensive side of the ball, for sure. On the defensive side of the ball, Brandon, I got to tell you, I loved what I saw out of this Bills scheme. I understand that the final score had 31 for Miami. Miami, though, because of these turnover opportunities, was working with a very advantageous... Uh, field advantage against the Bills. They were getting great, great ball placement as a result of these turnovers. And Thompson had a short field to work with for most of the game. So even though his stats weren't great, when he had the opportunity to take advantage of a short field because of a Buffalo Buffalo turnover, he was absolutely able to take advantage with this explosive offense behind him in Miami. Um, but outside of the final score, the defensive scheme for the Buffalo Bills was one I had been looking for all season. Again, we have been critical on this pod of some of the, some of the, you know, and it's so tough to say because 
Frazier runs an aggressive scheme, Brandon. He really does. He attacks the line of scrimmage in really creative ways. It's in the secondary where I think the play hadn't necessarily become passive, but it was a lot of guys sticking to their assignments, which was great. The Buffalo Bills' actual average of separation for their DBs between wide receivers all season was tops and was uh, one of the top rates in the league. They're a top five team at sticking to their guys. What they hadn't done since the bye, though, was turn over an opposing QB with interceptions. They were uh, bottom third in the league in passes deflected. You know, so it was really interesting. They ended up finishing the season fourth in total takeaways uh, with 24, but 14 of those came in the first six weeks and only 10 in the last 11 weeks. So it was nice to see the secondary, Trey White and Taron Johnson in particular, really go after the ball. And Frazier was doing an incredible job against Thompson. They brought him down for four sacks, but he was under pressure all day. He was bringing delayed blitzes with Milano and Edmonds right up the A-gap. Um, he was disguising coverage so well. And it got to a point where even if he was rushing four, the, Thompson could not diagnose where the four rush was going to come from. Sometimes you saw a D, uh, DN drop into coverage, and then Milano or Edmonds come up the middle or come around the edge. It was an absolute masterpiece by Frazier as far as defensive scheming goes. And then credit to that secondary for playing the ball really aggressively. I mean, they stuck to Tyreek Hill like glue that game. They played a lot of sticky coverage. And a lot of those 15 targets were pass breakups from guys like Trey White, Taron Johnson, um, and then Kyer Elam, who to me at the end of the game was one of the defensive heroes with the interception yeah, that he brought down. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then that pass deflection against against Gusecki. Yep. Um, you know, Brandon, it, it was uh, you guys play a ton of man, and we play a ton of zone, right? Um, but it looked like at times, for the first time this year, these DBs for the Bills were really winning a lot of those man-at-man matchups in the rare opportunities they had to. And I think that's something that's going to translate really well into the Cincinnati game, um, which I'm dying to talk about here. But mm-hmm. before we move on, what are your final thoughts on this Bills-Fins game as the Bills ultimately move on and the Fins head into their offseason? Yeah. I've got one I got one final question for you, but I want you to summarize your thoughts here. Yeah, well, I, I felt like last time we talked, you, you had a lot of criticism for the defense on the bills. And and I really do think, even though, you know, they gave up those points to Miami, I really do think your, uh, your bills defense made up for the turnovers on offense. And it, and it was those stars. It was Milano. It was Elam. It was Tredavious white that helped you all uh, get the win that um, Miami thought they were about to get. So, um, so really credit to the, to the defense there and um, offense has got to kind of look better uh, heading into Cincinnati. So. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a, uh, a Miami Dolphins friend of the pod who's going to come on with us eventually and do the, the full autopsy for their offseason. <laughs> but it, at the beginning of this season, JJ and I had done predictions sure to go wrong. And one of my preseason predictions was that 2022 would be the last year that we saw Mac Jones and Tua starting for their respective teams this year. I still feel like I might have it right about Mac, and you kind of solidified some of that for me last week. But tell me, real quickly, as just a a fan of an AFC East team, do you think Tua is the answer at quarterback after the season he put up, albeit injury-riddled, but do you think Tua, if his health allows, starts for Miami in 2023, or do you think they move on to another option? Uh, I 
again, if he plays, which I'm, I don't think he should, uh, based on what we saw this season, um, which, I mean, really, you look back at this season and it's just been horrific injury week by week. Um, and so, you know, talking with fans of the NFL, I think it's questionable whether or not we'll be watching the same game 10 years from now um, and, you know, how, how the game is going to be changed in order to ensure the safety of these players. But to, to your question, I, I do think Tua stays in Miami. Um, Mike McDaniels and him have a good track record. Tua is a phenomenal quarterback when you look at his stats. Um, he's They got uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell already, and they, Tua has shown that he can get the ball to them deep downfield. Um, they're going to have a lot of growing pains bringing in another quarterback um, and building up that chemistry that Tua already had going into it with Waddle. So, um, so yeah, I, I think Tua stays in Miami. I don't think he goes anywhere else. So I think they stick by the guy that, you know, took some really big blows for them and helped them win games. So, yeah, I, I hope that he is healthy enough to play and that it is safe for him to play. And if, if those two check boxes are, are marked off, I agree with you. I think to, uh, who JJ and I have been very critical of, you know, throughout his career really showed something this season. Um, and I agree with you, him and McDaniel seem to be a great pairing. He's got great chemistry with a lot of those weapons, um, on offense if Miami can improve the offensive line, protect Tua a little bit better, and not have to rely so much on quick reads with him, he showed that when given time this year, he could move the ball beyond the sticks, which had been a criticism of him early on. Um, now they have the ability to, I think he's uh, open to his fifth-year option. I mean, I think they could franchise tag him too, which mm-hmm. would be, I think, an interesting move as opposed to going with the fifth-year. Yeah. Um because I think uh, the average franchise tag for a QB is going to be somewhere in like the upper $30 million range. Yep. And I think his fifth year is going to be somewhere in the 18 to 20s. But I've got to look at its spot track to really know. Um, and if they were to move on, really you're talking about renting a veteran QB, trading for an Aaron Rodgers, which his cap hit is going to be insane compared to what you could get two or four. Or potentially signing a guy like Tom Brady, who, I mean, has been linked to Miami ever since the Brian Flores investigation broke out. So, you know, Stephen Ross isn't... Yeah, I mean, Ross is such a weird, not great owner. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Ross as as an owner over in Miami. It it really, it all depends on what he wants to do. Hopefully he listens to his his football experts on the ground and allows them to influence the decision. Because I think to a person in in Miami on that coaching staff with McDaniel on the offensive side of the ball... I really do think they want to bring Tua back for another run if he's healthy. But Tua needs to be allowed to make that decision for himself and for his family this offseason. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. If Tua is healthy enough to play, uh, I look forward to seeing him again because he, he just had a, a stellar season for those Miami Dolphins. And hopefully he he did a, he silenced a lot of critics that were, were on his back. All right, let's move it on to Cincinnati. Um, so Cincinnati and the Bills will play kick here in, in a matter of five hours, just about as we record this pod. Uh, not really a rematch, but it because they couldn't complete their game on January 2nd as a result of the, the, the DeMar Hamlin collapse. 
Um, as everyone knows, Hamlin is on a path to recovery. He's been in the Bills facility uh, this week. He uh, hasn't been attending team meetings, but he's been visiting with the guys, visiting with the coaching staff as he continues to, to heal up in Buffalo's facilities. Uh, there are rumors that they're going to bring Hamlin out to, um, to acknowledge the crowd and the staff uh, that, that saved his life on the field today before the game. Um, you know, it's been, it's just been since January 2nd, just in a, an emotional roller coaster for these Buffalo Bills and seeing Hamlin come out for what will be the Bills' last home, home game, win or lose, um, could be yet another emotional moment in what has been a very, very challenging season for that team. Emotions aside, the guys on both sides of the, the field are going to have to get to playing football. And I want to start with the offense of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals against this Buffalo Bills defense, Brandon. Um, and I, I got to get your take on something again, because you're like a third party observer and JJ and I are so like in the weeds on this stuff. So one of the things I want to ask your opinion about is the Buffalo Bills cornerback situation. And again, I think this is something you can appreciate because you come from a team that relies on a lot of man coverage and relies on guys to win individual matchups. So we had mentioned Kair Elam, the interception in the second half, and then the final pass deflection um, on Thompson's route to Gusecki against Miami. Elam, up until that point, had not played, and Dane Jackson had been getting a majority of the snaps share until he went down with an injury. He looks like he's going to be returning healthy. But a big debate for JJ and I and amongst Bills Mafia is, who is the number two cornerback that is going to be playing consistently opposite of Trey White? And with Jackson and Elam, you get two very different skill sets. Jackson, I think... His Dane Jackson's football IQ is incredible. So is Elam's, right? But Jackson is on another level, and he understands the scheme. He understands route trees as a as a defender. I think better than a lot of a lot of fans give him credit for. Where he lacks is his ability to physically win his matchups one on one when the time ultimately comes. Um, and his his missed tackle rate has increased a little bit this year. With Elam. You get almost the exact opposite, Brandon. You get a you get a young, athletic, strong, fast, uh, really cover man press corner that the Bills used a number one pick on. But he's still learning the Bills scheme. He's still learning route trees that opposing opposing wideouts are are taking against him. And he can get baited into things like double moves, which is something that Cincinnati likes to run a lot on their shots downfield. But when it comes down to it and there's a ball up in the air, Elam's got the physical ability against these Cincinnati uh, wide receivers to battle at the point of catch and potentially come away with a pick or at the very least deflect the pass, which results in lost downs or even better case scenario turnovers. So I guess my question for you, Brandon, is where would you see the Bills heading in this game? Do they go with Jackson, who is tried and true, but ultimately limited when it comes to the matchup? but knows the scheme? Or are they going to go with a guy like Elam, who gives them a physical advantage to go up against guys like Jamar, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins on the Cincinnati offense? Yeah, I, I think the story for this postseason for the Bills on defense uh, sways more to the Elam side, right? Um, I, I think he's come up uh, big recently, and I think, you know, it, in uh, same with gambling, you, you play the hot hand, right? So I think they continue to play the hot hand and, and see what he can do um, versus, you know, the tried and true. Um, 
these are each game, you know, talking about one week season. So, uh, you know, with each game, they got to put their best foot forward and, um, and, and go with that hot hand. So I, I think Elam is the answer here. You are truly a friend of the pod, my friend. That's where, that's where me and JJ have sat pretty consistently. Um, and, and that was a huge confidence building game for Elam. Um, because the caliber of wideouts that he was going up against on Miami is going to be very similar to the caliber he's going to be facing against Cincinnati. But I couldn't agree with you more. I think at the end of the day, you know, Joe Burrow is a QB, is a, I think a lot of people give him credit because they see his stat line, they see his high rate of accuracy, they see his quick time to throw, which other than Tom Brady is best in the league at just right around 2.5 seconds. They see all that stuff. And they're like, well, Joe makes quick decisions. He gets it out quick, right? Like coverage be damned. Um, he's a really efficient, uh, really efficient distributor of the ball, which he is. But then he also has this sort of contradictory side where there are times he'll hold on to the ball far too long and end up running into sacks or potentially turning it over. Everyone gives Josh Allen crap for, I think it was his 13 picks to end the regular season this year or 14 pick. No, at, Dak had 14 Josh had 13. Burrow was right behind both of them with 12. Mm -hmm. So he, yes, he's an accurate quarterback, but this offense is built on taking chances as well. So I think when you take that into consideration, the Cincinnati offense is not as boom or bust as the Bills has been recently, but they do have a propensity to turn it over in certain situations. Add to the fact that there are three offensive line starters for Cincinnati that will be out this game. The majority of that line is going to be backups. And I think you have a recipe where the Buffalo Bills, in the right situation, if they get the right amount of pressure on Burrow, um, are going to have the opportunity to turn it over. And on those turnover-worthy plays, to me, Elam is the answer outside of White for the majority of the snaps outside of Jackson. Um you and I, for prop bet sure to go wrong last week, um, I said that the the Bills were going to bring down Thompson over three and a half times, and they ended up bringing him down four. Brandon, what is your assessment of the Buffalo Bills' ability to bring down Joe Burrow, given the offensive line situation that um, Cincinnati is currently facing? I will tell you, since Von Miller has gone out, the Buffalo Bills' pressure rate has gone from 11th in the league to 27th in the league. But they were able to take advantage of another beat-up O-line in Miami last week. So what is your assessment of the Buffalo Bills' uh, front four and front seven to get pressure on Burrow and potentially bring him down? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of sacks. Uh, Joe Burrow is already one of the most sacked uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, but not to not to discredit them, but here they are, you know, um, so they still are able to figure it out. He's going to be trying to get the ball quick to to Chase and Boyd, Hurst, uh, the guys that are downfield. Um, so it's going to be quick ball. But I think certainly we're going to see a lot of sacks on uh, Burrow today, probably, um, I'd say probably over five by the end of the game. So, um, yeah. Yeah, he and and you know it might not make a difference um and whether or not Cincinnati wins ironically. Yeah. Um yeah. we all remember the Tennessee game last year. Burrow was sacked 9 times in that game yeah. and the Bengals still exactly. ended up pulling that out. Mm -hmm. Right? So but it it like the the conversation around Burrow seems to be very simplistic. Like he's an accurate QB which he is, cool under pressure which he is. Um and he's the next Joe Tom Brady cool. which I That's what yeah, they call Joe him. cool, right? 
Exactly. Which I, I don't necessarily think he is the next Brady. And again, it's because of the propensity for turnovers, which we kind of underrate. You know, I think the other thing that we don't discuss enough with Burrow is that, like, he's a third-year QB. And he yes, he took this team to the Super Bowl last year, but because of his injury in his rookie season, he hasn't actually played three full seasons yet. So as a young developing QB, Zach Taylor, uh, the head coach for the Bengals, seems to put a lot of the play calling duties on Burrow's shoulders, which again, he's got the football IQ to do, but he's calling a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage. Um, and as a result of that, Burrow has shown a propensity to get fooled with disguise coverage pre-snap and then uh, with the post-snap coverage ultimately unveils. And I think the Buffalo Bills have the athletic pieces at the second level to provide some of those disguised, cover disguised coverages and really fool Burrow, hopefully into a couple of mistakes today. Add to that the pressure he's likely going to be facing from this Bills defensive front. And I know everyone is predicting shootout in this game. Um, I tend to think this is going to go to the lower side of scoring, but it ultimately we'll have to wait and see here. But yeah, I, I mean, so in summary, the key is on the defensive side of the ball. Elam over Jackson for a majority of the snaps because at, at some point you're going to need to win those physical matchups against this uh, wide, wide receiver room for Cincinnati. And then pressure on Burrow and try to fool him post-snap with some of these disguised coverages that, again, Frazier did an incredible job of rolling out against Miami. Um, let's flip really quick to the offensive side of the ball, Brandon, for the Buffalo Bills against this the Cincinnati defense. You know, the Buffalo defense and the Cincinnati defense were really built to stop Patrick Mahomes, an athletic, elusive, big-armed QB. So it's not surprising to see that the Cincinnati Bengals share a lot of DNA and personnel with these Buffalo Bills. Eli Apple is an outside corner, is depending oh. on who you ask. Yeah, yeah. Also maybe a better trash talker at times than he is in coverage, <laughs> but that's going to be entertaining to watch him and Diggs go at it for a full game. Yep. And then they've got they've got Mike Hilton, who is one of the stronger slot corners in, in the NFL, similar to what the Bills have with Taron Johnson. They use Hilton a bunch on uh, slot pressures on the QB, like we use Johnson. Um, and then he can lock down, again, he's a, he's a physically imposing matchup, he can lock down a smaller wide receiver like Isaiah McKenzie, who only stands at 5'7". Um, Cole Beasley, not much bigger at 6'1". Shakir is the biggest out of the group at about 6'1 6'2". So it's going to be interesting for me to see what the slot rotation here looks like. Um, JJ and I had a text chain and the Buffalo Bills almost never do this stuff, right? The only wide receiver they really move around the rotation consistently is Diggs. But it would be interesting to see if the Bills chose to play Davis and slot a little bit more because he is their best blocker. And he could really find some releases for Cook on some of these outside runs and manage Hilton. Or even with a little chip before he runs around across the field, slow down Hilton on any uh, design pass rush on Allen. Um, Shakir is okay at that stuff, not as good as Davis. And McKenzie and Beasley are just overmatched when it comes to a, a slot corner like that. So to me, that's a really key matchup. Another one is, will Josh Allen be able to use his legs effectively? Teams really do seem to have unlocked how you stop Josh Allen scrambles. Um, they will give the impression of an open middle of the field um, or an open middle of the line, which is something that, that uh, Christian Wilkins from Miami did almost expertly, where they will float more towards the B or the C gap. They'll give Josh the impression he can run it right up the middle. Then all of a sudden, when they see him take that first affirmative step to tuck it and go, 
they close out that gap at the line of scrimmage and bring them down. Um, your Patriots did the same thing this week. So I wonder if we're going to see more designed runs for Allen on offense this week as well, just to manage ball control a little bit, but get him into his element, which is those really effective uh, opportunities to use his legs. Um, and then finally, the last one for me is, will the Buffalo Bills offensive line be able to protect Allen? Now, what Cincinnati has done against teams like Kansas City is rush three, drop eight into coverage, um, and they don't bring a lot of blitzes. Based on Miami's success against Josh and baiting him into his worst tendencies downfield, because they're a little bit more multiple, I think, than, than the Buffalo Bills defenses, or at least they have a willingness to be more multiple. I wonder what we're going to see from the Cincinnati defense. Will they choose to rush three or rush four and drop seven or eight into coverage? Will they bring well-timed pressure? You know, I got to believe everyone has seen the film on, on Allen at this point. Like, he's a known quantity. And I wonder if I wonder if the pressure for the Bengals is timed later in the game. Because eventually, after two or three drives, the Bills adjust. But if you bring that pressure later in the game, potentially in a closeout fashion against Allen, I wonder if that has the potential to be more effective at disrupting this offense at the right time and simply help to run out the clock. Um, Brandon, what are some of you've watched both of these teams? Uh, what are some of the things that you are keeping and keeping an eye on in this game when it comes to the Bills' offense versus the Cincinnati defense? Yeah, so Cincinnati hasn't really been great against the run, so I'm curious if uh, the Bills are going to let cook cook um and <laughs> well said thank you um and how much they're giving the ball to uh, both him and singletary um because i i think there's a lot of opportunity here to um gain yards on the ground especially when you're looking at apple and the other guys that cincinnati's going to have in coverage so um lots of opportunities on the ground i think that also translates and will translate to opportunities for josh and design run plays um he couldn't get anywhere on the patriots um and you know i, I think during the miami game sort of uh had to rely more on his arm um so I think more opportunities uh, for the Bills on the ground here. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if they can get it going, make that happen, you know, it's still going to be a great game. Um, Mixon is obviously, you know, for the Cincinnati side of the ball, not going to get anywhere. Uh, Bills are great at stopping the run. So um, Joe Burrow is going to be slinging it uh, downfield uh, to his guys. So curious to see sort of how that plays out but but that's what I'll be watching for is to see how much the Bills choose to run in this game versus how they did in Miami which was hardly at all yeah they went away from the run really quickly and something else that was interesting about that Miami game is that despite Cook's success in week 18 which kind of felt like a passing of the torch from Singletary to Cook as the primary ball carrier um, the Bills really quickly went away from the run, and they really quickly went back to that comfort food of Devin Singletary, where he got a majority of the care traditional running back carries that game. And neither Cook or Singletary had a target out of the backfield in the passing game either. And I have to imagine that's going to change. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The run game, the traditional run game and the Josh Allen designed run has to factor in big here because it's going to chew up clock. You have the ability to get chunk yardage, keep Cincinnati's offense off the field. 
but ultimately forced Cincinnati out of their comfort zone, which I have to believe is going to be uh, light boxes, dropping a bunch of guys into zone coverage to crowd passing lanes. If you can prove that you can run the ball effectively against that scheme, they're eventually going to have to bring guys up. And that's when the Bills can make some hay downfield in the passing game as well. But um, Cook, I agree, has to be featured this game. He, he's he got the opportunity to take one to the house every time he touches the ball. He's the home run threat the Bills have been, been looking for. And then from a personnel standpoint, it'll be interesting to see who gets a majority of the slot share. Is it going to be Shakir, Beasley, McKenzie, or is it going to be a healthy rotation? Um, Josh seems to be developing some chemistry with Shakir. So when he's on the field, if I'm watching the game today, I would watch for number 10, where he's placed, what route he's running. Cause I think Josh doesn't have a lot of trust in the, in this pass catching group outside of maybe Knox and, and Diggs, but he seems to be have a willingness to go to Shakir when he's on the field. So I'd be interested to see how that plays out as well. All right. Are you ready to do some? do some prediction sure to go wrong because you know everything we said last week pretty much went wrong yeah. all right so let's let's do final score here so the bills opened as a four and a half point favorite at home and that line has since slid to six uh us bills being a six point favorite according to caesar sportsbook basically on the news that that the cincinnati o-line is so beat up at this point um and then the over under on this game is sitting at i think 44 and a half which feels pretty high um, but then again, all the wildcard games last week hit the over. So, um, Brandon, where are you at with final score prediction here? Who do you think is going to take this home? Yeah, so I, I definitely take the over on this game, um, which I, I think we may be in a little bit of a disagreement. I, I do think that uh, we'll see a lot of touchdowns. Um, I give this to, uh, you're going to hate me, but I, I give it to Cincinnati winning this game. Um Put them at 27 to the Bills 24. You're the villain we've always needed on this pod, my friend. <laughs> J- JJ, I have never picked against the Bills uh, since we started this pod. No. JJ picked had picked against them once yeah. in the 2021 re- regular season rematch against the Chiefs. He picked the Chiefs to win after the Bills had, had been downed in the AFC Championship in 2020 in Arrowhead. Um, and since then, neither of us have picked against the Bills. Um, and I'm going to keep that streak going. I think based on what I saw from the aggressiveness of this secondary, if this Bills coaching staff rolls out a, a similar scheme, which I believe Frazier will based on the offensive line deficiencies Cincinnati is working with, as you said, there is the potential Cincinnati can be made one-dimensional given how beat up this offensive line is if they can't effectively get Mixon going in the run game. And I think that plays well to the Buffalo Bills defense. And I have to believe Stefan Diggs, Mitch Morse, Ken Dorsey, guys that Allen respects and trust, went to him and said, dude, we love you. We love your YOLO ball style, but we just need you to play within, play on schedule, play within structure this game, and we can take this home. So if the Bills play within structure on offense and the defense does what it should do, this has the potential to be a game that the Bills win, I would think, by a touchdown. And that's no disrespect to Cincinnati. They're a great team, but they're so beat up on the offensive line. We saw it in, 20, in that 2020 Super Bowl between Tampa Bay and Kansas City, where Kansas City had their entire backup offensive line in. Um, I mean, no matter how good your QB is, and they were, they were rolling with Pat Mahomes in that game, your QB needs some time to throw the ball, even a guy with a quick trigger like Burrow. So I'm going to go... Yeah, yeah. Go I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go Bills 28, and I'm going to say 
Bengals 24. So I do, I do, I do like the over in this game as well, but I don't think the Bills cover. I do think it's going to be a little bit closer, but it, I'm hoping at the end of the game, the game doesn't feel as close as the final score because the Bills really do have a personnel advantage um, on the defensive side of the ball here. I, I think this game comes down to third downs. Which team, oh. which team does better on third down, um, and and that ultimately will determine who wins. Yeah, and and these are two top five units when it comes to third down efficiency this season. The Bills are number one at I think just a shade under fifty percent, and the Bengals aren't too far behind. Um, yeah, man, it's going to be a good one. Um, I've got one prop, and again, it's based around sacks. Okay. So so I want to lay it on you and let me know what you think. So everyone has been talking, I think rightfully so, that. Greg Rousseau needs to pop in this game. And I 100% agree. Rousseau is going to have a matchup likely against a, a backup tackle uh, on either side of the ball for, for Cincinnati. But I think more importantly, especially with as quick as Burrow likes to get it out and his propensity to use the middle of the field, I think Ed Oliver is the key on the defensive line here this game. Um, he's only had two and a half sacks on the season, but a lot of what he does does not show up in the stat line. He wreaks havoc at the line of scrimmage. Um, he blows through double teams. His first step this season has been elite. I think if you can pressure a guy like Burrow up the middle, force him to the edges, into the waiting arms of a Shaq Lawson or a Greg Rousseau, or even bring him down yourself— I think that's where the Buffalo Bills have a chance to change the the momentum of this game. And I think Oliver is going to be a big piece of that. So I'm going over under um, half a sack for Ed Oliver. I think it's the over. I think he has at least one and a half sacks this game. I think he gets one on his own, and I think he helps out on another with the amount of pressure he can generate up the interior. Again, only two and a half sacks total on the season. Yeah, no, I, I mean... I think there's the Bills are going to get a lot of sacks, so they got to go somewhere. So <laughs> I, I would also take the over there. Um, and if you you told me three for Rousseau, I'd probably also take the over on him. So um, I, think, wow. I, I think it's just going to be a lot of sacks. So I think on both sides, like I, I like yes. yeah, yeah, God. totally. I, I, they they yeah. what uh, Miami did, and how many times they got to Josh and the pressure, Seven. the fumbles, yeah. the interceptions. So. Cincinnati's going to bring the pressure, right? They're they're going to be doing. They're going to have to eventually. Yeah, they're, yeah. Gonna they're going to have to. Miami's homework. So, yeah, in terms of pressure on quarterbacks, it's going to it's going to see a lot of that, and and whether it goes to Rousseau or or Oliver, I think it'll probably be both. Yep, it's it's just going to be a matter of when they roll out that pressure because that is inevitable against the Bills' offensive line and Josh Allen. Like we said, it's going to be a question of when in the game they decide to roll that out. So it, it's going to be an interesting watch. I think it's definitely, especially the way after yesterday's games uh, shook out, has the potential to be the game of the divisional round weekend and the opportunity to meet the Kansas City Chiefs for the winner of this game in the AFC Championship. All right, so Brandon, thank you again for potting with us again, doing us a solid on Thanks this on me. the uh, buff, Buffalo bread. Oh my God, anytime! Uh, and for those of you wondering, we are going to have Brandon back. Uh, we are going to in the off season when we get to that point do a little little of our Madden GM for the Buffalo Bills, but we're going to broaden that scope to include uh, our friends who are fans of other AFC East teams. Uh, talk a little bit about what their needs in the division are, and we're going to do the first ever Buffalo Bread AFC East Mock Draft, where we're going to have Brandon and reps from the Dolphins and reps from, from the Jets 
guest on this pod with me and JJ, and we're going to do a full mock draft for all of our teams this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. Something to look forward to after the season ends. So Brandon, thank you again very much for your time. We appreciate it. For all those of you listening at home, we appreciate you tuning into Buffalo Bread here on this AFC Divisional week, divisional Round weekend. Uh, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, and as always, go Bills. <laughs>